How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hey, so this is the second of what will officially be four crossover podcasts this week. Today I am talking with Chris Manning of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, having a discussion about our two teams. It's a little bit different than the one we did on Monday with Dan Feldman. I'll explain the format once we get you to the actual recording of the podcast, but I did want to let you know which other teams I'll be recording with throughout the rest of the week so you can expect those. Uh, I'm recording with Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic on Wednesday evening, so you can expect that podcast to go up a little bit later on Wednesday night, so it won't be there for you during the day Wednesday. Probably be up for you, uh, I guess, when you wake up Thursday morning. Uh, and then Friday morning, I'm recording with Sean Hyken and Cody Westerland of the Locked On Bulls podcast. So that one will probably be up around the middle of the day on Friday. So again, it's four this week. Uh, crossovers with Locked On Pistons, Locked On Cavaliers, Locked On Magic, Locked On Bulls. And at some point, we'll also have episodes with uh, Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat and then the guys from Locked On Celtics as well. And we'll also be doing a bunch of other stuff as we lead up to the opening of training camp in a few weeks. So definitely be on the lookout for that. There's a lot of good stuff coming in the pipeline, including positional previews uh, for every position group on the team, which is something you know we've touched on tangentially within other podcasts but we'll be going a little bit more in-depth into each position group uh, as we go on later throughout the the tail end of what I guess you can still call the summer because it's still pretty hot outside most days. (laughs) Other than that, we'll get you to that podcast with Chris soon, but before we do, wanted to again say to make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Search for it there. You can search for the Locked On Podcast Network or for Locked On Knicks. Leave us a review and a Bill Walker star rating. That's five stars. And check the podcast out as well on both Stitcher and Audio Boom. Anyway, enjoy the podcast with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, My city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Don't fall off. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Knicks, Lockdown Cavaliers crossover podcast. I'm Jared Dubin. I host Lockdown Knicks. And with me is Chris Manning, who hosts Lockdown Cavaliers. Chris, what's up, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad to be crossing over with you and Lockdown Knicks and uh, ready to talk about a team that I think, at least on your end, I think is kind of fascinating for so many different reasons. Yeah, the Cavs aren't all that fascinating. Nothing interesting has happened with them last year, this year, anything. I mean, it's there's, there's really nothing to talk about. Yeah, they never came uh, back down from 3-1 in the NBA Finals to beat the Warriors. I I know that we're doing this in a a format where I'm going to ask you about the Knicks and you're going to ask me about the Cavs, 
But before we get into that, I actually do have to, to ask this one question. When is the constant, like, referencing of the 3-1 thing not in connection to anything that has to do with basketball going to stop? Like, there was during the Olympics, it was like, don't let this uh, Usain Bolt race uh, overshadow the fact that the Cavs came back from, or not that the Cavs came back from down 3-1, that the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. Like, Cavs Twitter is driving me insane at this point. Like, I liked it at first. And at this point, I, I might have to, like, I don't, I don't know physically if I'd do anything, but uh, I'll at least, like, Twitter mute, like, every single one of you guys. I got my last one out because it just presented itself and I had to do it, but um, there are certain people out there, like Conrad Kazmarek and Ryan Morton, that I, I don't think will ever let it die. Um, I think, like, until after the finals next year, they're going to be popping it up, but... Um, I think Conrad will do it forever. Like Conrad, there, got, a, Conrad got a license plate with three one lead. Did he really? Like, did he, he really did. I saw it on Twitter and it was right before he started to record. Um, and uh, so it's like a thing, but I think uh, it's going to ride until the finals next year when I, I, I would expect, well, probably at least most likely the Cavs and Warriors play again. Um, because yeah. this is this is Cavs Warriors version of Aragon Sen. Like this is this is the twenty sixteen seventeen season version of that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just going to last forever. And, you know, Conrad, I knew he was going <laughs> to, just, just knowing him for a while, I yeah. knew that was going to happen with him. But, I mean, my God, the well, it's deserved arrogance for sure. It's just, uh, I, I sort of liked Warriors fan arrogance more than I've been, I've been enjoying uh, Cavs fan arrogance right now, which is, you know, as a, as a neutral observer... I don't know if it says more about me or about Cavs fans. Well, I would say Warriors' uh, arrogant Twitter was a little more nuanced. It had a little more variety to it. Um, I think it was more extreme. Like, I think some of the guys that uh, did it were, like, took it to these far ends that were sort of really interesting. Um, and Cav- but Cavs Twitter with this is sort of, it's a one-note, it's a one-trick pony. Um, and I, I'd expect, like, a little peak double down on it as the Browns go 0-16. Oh, God. Uh, it'll die out <laughs> a little bit, but it's going to it's gonna have its value in keeping it... Uh, Cavs fans that are also Browns fans, which is like almost all of them, all of us, uh, sort of a little happier as the season just goes downhill really, really fast. Uh, I like that you pointed out, you know, the difference in nuance because that that's definitely true. You know, the the Cavs thing is all about three one three one three one. The Warriors they also I think kept it more like to just strictly basketball stuff. They weren't like you know like I said referencing other events. And being like, oh well, don't let that distract you from the fact that the Warriors are awesome. Yeah, no, there's definitely that. Through. I mean, I was at the UFC card in Cleveland over the weekend, and uh, there were people uh, that I was like talking to at this at there, and then at the bars after that were like Steve Miocic who from Cleveland and won in the main event. And we almost all that was like him coming back was coming back down for three one. Oh god, like, okay, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta let we gotta let this go. And there's been uh, like car commercials and stuff that have referenced it, and uh, some company recently kind of ruined it so I th- it might be close to dying for some I hope it dies soon I'm right there with you um, <laughs> now that we've gone through all that and I got that off my chest we're, we're going to go into what we've actually planned on for today and the way we're going to do this is you know because I spend all of my podcasts talking about the Knicks and you spend all of your podcasts talking about the Cavs we're going to go back and forth asking each other three questions each but I'm going to ask you about the Knicks, and you're going to ask me about the Cavs so that our listener can get you know a little bit of variety in their life because, 
everybody knows what I think about the Knicks at this point, and everybody knows what you think about the Cavs at this point, and it'll be good for you to uh, to get again some variety, get some other perspective on uh, on the team. Mm-hmm, do absolutely. you uh, do you want to go first? I've, yeah, I because I have a question that I think uh, I think is going to be one of the more divisive ones for the next year about the Cavs. So I think we'll start there and just kind of see where it goes. Uh, so. Kyrie Irving is a player that Cavs Twitter loves in defense. Uh, I think there are some on basketball Twitter that aren't a fan of him, and I sort of fall in the middle. Uh, I think he's really good when he's at his best, but he also can be very frustrating. So, Jared, where do you come in on Kyrie Irving, and where do you think he is now, and where do you, what, are there things about his game that you think he absolutely has to just kind of iron out before he hits a elite level? And do you, and as a side of that, do you think he's in the category of like a Lillard or a like that upper echelon of point guard that's maybe behind the Russes and the CP3s and the Currys of the world? I am very glad that this is the question that you asked because this is something that I I love thinking about because Kyrie is one of my least favorite players to watch for, for purely aesthetic reasons. Like I admire the kind of things that he can do with the ball, and it's basically impossible to take it away from him when it's in his hands. But the the constant like swinging back and forth of the ball and not really moving anywhere is just something that doesn't appeal to me as as a viewer. But I have, and I have written about this in the past. I recognize that every one of those dribbles is done with a purpose, and it's sort of gauging the defense's reaction and then using it against them either later in that same dribble, later in the game, later in the season, uh, later in his career. Like, I, I admire the artistry of what he does with all of those dribbles where he's basically standing in one place and putting it, you know, around his back, between his legs, crossover, 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 and it's, it's, it's just not pleasing to me to watch, but I know exactly what he's going for and exactly what he's doing, and I get it, and it's very effective, and it's obviously helped him a lot. Um, throughout his career, um, so so it's it's a little bit of a dichotomy because I don't like watching him, but I also know exactly how good he is, um, and, and I do think that he is probably in that next tier of point guards, like behind the the Steph CP three, uh, Russ Russell Westbrook tier, with guys like Lillard and Mike Conley, John Wall, Kyle Lowry. I, I feel like he is in that next tier. Um, the the thing that separates him and a little bit Lillard is that they're not good defenders. Um, I think Kyrie has more of a skill set to be a good defender because of his length and his strength. Um, Lillard, I think, isn't quite as well equipped to be good on defense as Kyrie is. So I think that if he does iron that out, he can push into you know the the, the top three guys. Uh, I think people that are talking about like oh I would take him over any of those top point guards like. Kyrie's really good. We don't have to lie, you know. Like we we don't have to pretend um, things that aren't true. Uh, it's it's like people who are like you know Carmelo is a better scorer than Durant. Like no, Carmelo's really good. We don't have to pretend he's better than Durant. Like come on. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, it's a, a convoluted way of saying that I come down on like he's really really good and he could be a little bit better if he improves defensively and can push into that top tier. But I don't particularly like watching him, if that makes sense. No, I sort of, I sort of, and they have the same opinion of you with him and the other guys, just because I think if you you start you're starting a team tomorrow and you had the option and you had to pick a point guard out of a hat and it was between Lowry, Kyrie, 
Lillard, Wall, and maybe Ian Conley. Um, I think if you picked any one of those guys, you'd be getting like a really good point guard that just has some things they aren't great at. Uh, and I think you'd be fine with any of them. And I agree with you. I think like Kyrie can at times be sort of frustrating because he does just dribble a lot. And I think he could be more efficient with his dribbles, be more willing to just go with his dribbles and just kind of not wait 10 seconds before doing something. Um, I also think that he kind of just developed in a weird way because he played with D.I., he played under two coaches who I don't really think knew what they were doing, uh, and then he got with LeBron. So I think we're, he's still sort of figuring some things out, and I think that's kind of weird because he's going into his fifth year, or, yeah, he's like in his fifth year or whatever, but it's it's just a weird thing, and I think he's going to get to a higher level. Uh, the defensive thing, I think a lot of it's just an effort thing. I just watch him just die on screens all the time and it drives me nuts but if he can get to that like curry level where he's at least putting an effort on defense and not letting guys get easy threes and easy lane penetration i think he hits that upper level um but we'll have to see if he does get there at some point and if he and he also could get hurt again because you never know because he has broken down a couple times yeah the uh the health thing is obviously a concern and you know there's no bigger concern for the knicks than the health thing but <laughs> that, that, that's not where I'm going to start off with my first question, though. Mine is, so I, I feel like the Cavs and Knicks are now set up somewhat similarly in that they have ball-dominant stars at small forward, uh, a ball-dominant either current star or former star at point guard, and then a either current star or future star as their power forward, and... Obviously, we've seen what's happened over the last few years in terms of Kevin Love being somewhat marginalized compared to how you'd optimally use him. So I'm curious if you're worried about the same thing happening to Porzingis, uh, and if so, how you wished that the Cavs would have counteracted that with Love, and if you think the Knicks can do the same with Kristaps. That is a super fascinating question. Um I would say I would hope I wouldn't be as worried about it because I think if the Knicks are smart and if Jeff Hornacek is smart about this, they aren't going to try to just maximize things to work right now in the way that the Cavs did. I think what the Cavs did with Love is they thought, okay, to win right now, we need to put him in an X role where he just shoots and he doesn't get a lot of his elbow touches and he doesn't do everything that you would expect him to do. Uh, at least what he did with the Wolves. With Porzingis, I think the idea would be to get him more touches in the way that where he set up to be successful in the ways that let other guys defer to him instead of him being the, the fourth piece or the third piece or whatever. With Love, I, I would say if I was going to go back two years, I would have tried to organically get him elbow touches, organically get him post-ups so that he's comfortable. Um, I've been, I'm currently working on something where I'm literally watching every offensive possession he's touched the ball or at least the ones i can find on the nba stats page from his two years with the Cavs, and it, I, I watch five six games at a time and i never feel like it's an organic thing with him i never feel like it's kevin loves getting the elbow touches because the Cavs want him to it's they have to and i think if i'm the knicks above all i would want to make sure porzingis is getting the type of touches where it feels like they want him to get those and they want him to just learn and grow and thrive in those positions other than okay we feel like we have to get chris Stapp's 10 10 touches a game or something like he'll probably deserve more i hope he gets more because i think it'd be more fun if he's getting a lot more than if derrick rose is shooting 20 times a game or something um so i would just hope they don't think okay we have to maximize carmelo now we have to have maximize rose and noah now i think you can maybe make the playoffs with that team but it shouldn't come at the cost of porzingis being marginalized in any way 
it's it's something that I'm really interested uh, to talk to Rose in particular about, um, whether it's at, at Media Day or some other time, where, you know, obviously the Knicks have put a lot of eggs in Chris Stapps' basket for their future, and they want him to become a certain kind of player. And, you know, because he's a big man, he does need, you know, guards or wings to get him the ball. And it, I'll be very interested to know how much responsibility Rose feels to, to help turn Porzingis into the player that the Knicks want him to be. Not not just to do, you know, the, the things that that he does, but, but to actively help Chris Stapps become a, a different kind of player is one of the, I think, the most interesting things to watch for the team this year. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I love Porzingis' game. I think he's, And I think he just has something that... I think it's just he looks. He just feels like a special player to me, even though he's only been in the league a year. And I hope that he can continue just growing and growing and growing. And I like a lot of the young guys the Knicks have in general. Like I like Willie Hernan Gomez. I love Maurice Sendor. I watched. I went to OU where he played, and I he was really good then. And I think he had to be type skill set then with how long he is and stuff. So I hope all those guys. I think this is the extreme, obviously, but uh, I hope he gets the run he deserves. So. Uh, my question actually is about the guy you mentioned, Kevin Love. Uh, a, how would you sort of critique how the Cavs have used him in the past few years? And B, how would you adapt how they've used him heading into year three? <sighs> the most involved question about the Cavs possible. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. we can go to the Cliff Notes version because I, I think it's just so obvious what they've done wrong. And done, not wrong necessarily because they did win a title. But just what they did, what they did is just so obvious and kind of frustrating, you know, in a sense. Yeah, I, th- I think that they sort of tried to make him into the kind of player uh, that Bosch was for some of the time in Miami. Um, you know, siphoning some touches away, not making him uh, a post-up player really at all. But also, they didn't really make him the primary role man in their pick and rolls. And that was a big difference between what they had uh, in Miami. You know, Bosch was always the guy that was the top screener, whether he was rolling to the basket or, you know, more often popping out. Um, You know, the the Cavs obviously have used Mozgov and Tristan more in the pick and roll directly than Love and used Love sort of as a floor spacer. Uh, and, And Bosch was a floor spacer, but he spaced with his ability to shoot out of the role or his ability to shoot, you know, off of LeBron post-ups on the same side of the floor. Uh, But the Cavs have not used, I don't think, Love really in the same way. And also, he's such a different player that using him in that manner to begin with wasn't really the way to go. I mean, it, it, it seems like running an entirely different offensive system is, is the way that they should have cor- quote-unquote corrected themselves. Obviously, things worked out for them because they won a title. Uh, but I think that more burden-sharing, I guess, is, is the way I would describe it. You know, it's very rare that anyone except for LeBron or Kyrie has the ball in their hands for the Cavs. Yeah. Um, and Kevin Love is the kind of guy who can do a lot with the ball in his hands, whether it's at the elbow or on the block or even outside the three-point line. Like he can shoot, he can pass, he can put it on the floor, he can drive, he can drive and not just finish, but drive and kick. 
Um, so I, I feel like figuring out a way to more equally distribute not just the touches, but the burden of those touches. Because even if Love is getting, say, a, a close amount of touches per game, and I don't have the sport view numbers in front of me, uh, to, to someone like Kyrie, his touches aren't as fundamental to what they're doing, I guess is what I'd say. And, um, you know, more ways to get him, I guess, directly involved, even if he's not the, the, the guy that they're going to on the play. Like, if you're going to Kyrie on the backside for a pick and roll, like, have Love set the initial screen or, or have Love set the second screen. Well, once you kick the ball across the court to the, to Kyrie, so that he's then drawing the attention and the outlet valve, you know. So it's he's just not directly involved enough. He's more of a a safety option too much, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah, I think I think it's right on the head of everything. And I think if you could go back and critique them, it would be to just use him in a way that maximizes what he did in Minnesota, even if it's to a lesser degree. Um, okay, so my next question for you is, you know, again, I think about a similarity between the Knicks and the Cavs. They have below-average defenders at point guard. The Cavs, obviously, over the last couple of years have been able to to be uh, a top half of the league defense during the regular season their first year and then much better than that in the playoffs. And then last year, I think they were top 10 in the regular season uh, and even better in the playoffs again. Um, the, the Knicks, again, they have whether it's Derrick Rose or Brandon Jennings, a below-average defensive point guard, uh, how do you see them being able to make up for that? Do you think that they could be a top half of the league defense with Noah and Porzingis and Courtney Lee behind Rose? Or is that something that you think might be a little bit too difficult for them? My gut tells me it's too difficult just because I don't trust Joakim Noah being Joakim Noah that we knew in Chicago at his best or close to his best. I think Porzingis has a ton of defensive potential. I love Courtney Lee. I think he's like a very, very perfect fit next to Rose. Um, but you're putting a lot of pressure on Noah to be sort of the anchor of that defense and to kind of make everything work. With the Cavs, the second half of that first year when that defense got pretty good, it was because of Mozgov and his rim protection and his ability to deter shots in the paint. Last year, he was not nearly as good. He was very much of a shell of himself, but they were still pretty good. Uh, behind Kyrie and everything, partially because some of their bench units were very good defensively, and partially because Tristan Thompson took a huge step up as a center last year. He's not blocking shots like Moskov did, but he's altering shots, and he's great at containing the pick and roll. I think if Noah is healthy and he's close to what we saw with Noah in Chicago, I think they could inch that way. But I'm just skeptical of Noah being healthy again and being close to peak Noah ever again just because of the wear and tear he's taken on. Um, but you know, I I kind of would like to be wrong, just because I think it'd be sort of it'd be sort of cool to see Noah being that good again. Because I love Joakim as a as a person and a personality, but I'm like I'm just skeptical of that actually becoming a reality. Just Noah's track record and the way he's been hurt doesn't really have me feeling that optimistic about where that defense should be. Yeah, I'm of two minds about this because one, I think that for however long Noah and Chris Stapps are healthy they should be good on defense when the two of them are on the floor together. You know, they were, I think, the either the best or second-best interior defense in the league last year with Chris Stapps and Robin Lopez on the court together. Lopez has been one of the better rim protectors in the league uh, for the whole sport view era, which is the last three years. 
uh, and, and Chris Stapps was very good in that area as well, and also a little bit uh, in terms of going out and switching on guys, which is something Noah's really good at too. Um, the thing that worries me is obviously Noah's health, number one, and then you know if Noah does get hurt, uh, the rebounding, I feel like, could get really bad. Uh, that was a, a big problem for them last year when Lopez was out. Um, when, when they went to Chris Stapps' center, those lineups were good offensively, but they got killed on the boards, and the defense wasn't very good because of it. And I feel like that could happen again. You know, Chris Stapps obviously ha- has put on some weight, and you would imagine he gets better. Uh, improvement isn't always linear, but it seems like a safe bet that he will get better. But, you know, w- with him and, the, and Carmelo and Lance Thomas on the front line together, like, you have Carmelo is a good rebounder for his position, and Porzingis rebounded pretty well last year. But Lance has been a somewhat below-average rebounder for a combo forward, and Porzingis's rebounding numbers went way down when Lopez wasn't on the court. So I feel like it, the similar thing could happen again with Noah. Yeah, that I feel exactly the same way. I really, really like Robin Lopez, and it was kind of a bummer you have to lose him because he would have been a very good backup center. But um, you know, I get it to kind of what they did. But so my last question uh, is a little more. It's a smaller scale question, um, and it's but it's a question I think is going to define the Cavs season in some ways. Um, out of these three teams, what do you, who do you? And if there's another team I did mention that you think is more likely to to beat to beat the Cavs, just say that team. But I'm just going to cut you off. It's the Celtics. Oh, okay then. Yeah, there you go. Because I'm I'm interested in this case because I think it's Boston too, but I've heard takes for Toronto. And after it takes for Detroit. And Detroit's the one that fascinates me the most, but just because I think the potential's there. But why do you think Boston has the chance to unseat the Cavs better than any other team in the East? Um, so I, I think it's because of the versatility of options that they have to throw at LeBron and to throw at Kyrie. I'm not sure that another team has enough capable defenders to give both of them different looks all game. Like I think that that Detroit can do it to one of them but not necessarily both. Um, I feel like if you use KCP on Kyrie, there, there's really nobody else that you're going to put on him after that. Like, Reggie Jackson on Kyrie is a very favorable matchup for the Cavs. Um, I don't think necessarily that... I mean, I guess Toronto does kind of have multiple guys you can throw at LeBron. Like, if you count DeRozan as one of them, like, you go with Damari Carroll as well. Uh, maybe even someone like Norman Powell, but I mean I don't I just don't think that that any other team has as many different options that they can throw at both guys, and and I feel like that's the real key to staying in the game with them. Yeah, I with you, and I think I I just don't I just don't look at Toronto as a team that I think is actually in any much better than last year, and I don't think they. What they did last year against the Cavs really had me feeling like, oh, that team actually could beat them if they played them again. Um, and Boston, to me, I think, as much as Cavs fans like to malign the Celtics, I think they're just, what you said is exactly right. I mean, I'm just thinking about Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart hounding Kyrie for 48 minutes, and that's just, like, the hardest night over seven games for Kyrie. And right. they have Crowder, and they have all those other guys to throw at LeBron, and they could eat, and I mean, if you want to get even lower, I mean, Horford... He loved it well against him in the playoffs, but Al Horford's a very smart, capable defender. Him on a better structured team, on Kevin Love, 
I mean, does Boston can put three really good guys on the Cavs, three best players, and just kind of see where things go. And that's, I don't wouldn't pick the Celtics, but I think that's the most interesting scenario. Yeah, I mean, I would still pick the Cavs too, but I also think that Horford offensively is a little bit more of a problem for them with the Celtics than he was with the Hawks because Isaiah is so much better attacking the basket than Jeff Teague. And if Tristan has to really step out and cover him for another, you know, step or step and a half or whatever it is, th- then Horford's going to be that much more wide open for, you know, that 15-footer or even the threes that he pops out for sometimes. So it's, it's a little bit of a different challenge defensively for, for Tristan and Love as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I kind of really hope that for the finals next year, just because we've been through two playoff scenarios now where we haven't seen the Cavs push a ton. And I would like to see them actually get a little bit of a run in each, just because it makes my job covering the team just a little bit more interesting right. uh, before June. It just—it's just more fun to watch. Like the Toronto series was like fine. What high class like, problems you have? Like oh, it's it's so much, it's so not interesting to cover my team yeah. that's like gonna cakewalk right. to the finals again. <laughs> I, went, I lived through the uh, I lived through the waiters era where, where that my the first game. Dude, in. that era lasted four years. The Knicks Theirs have been garbage for fifteen. Right. Awful. <laughs> so, speaking of that, my, my last question is somewhat connected to those two things. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Cavs are the Eastern Conference favorite for the foreseeable future, uh, so long as LeBron decides to play out his contract there. When is the next window that you could conceivably see the Knicks as the biggest threat to them? Ooh, um... I would say it involves a healthy Derrick Rose, and because I think of the different ways the. So you think it's this year, and it and it has to be Rose. It's not like sometime in the future. I just don't know if the timelines really match up in a way that makes me consider it, um, like in three years. I just because I look at the Knicks and I look at Carmelo. He's you know getting a little bit older. I look at Porzingis, I don't think his prime is for a couple more years. All the young guys that they got, I don't think their primes are in the near future. Like I mentioned, Adore, he was born in 92. This is his first year in the NBA. Hernan Gomez, first year in the NBA. Uh, you know, Dakota, first year in the NBA. They have all these guys that are really young. And I don't think that the timeline of those guys being really good and with Carmelo necessarily matches up with where the Cavs are still going to be at their peak. Because I think you look at the Cavs, I think you have a, you clearly have two years of LeBron, where he's 31, 32 in that range, and he's still going to be very, very good. And then his contract's up. And then I, I think there's still a scenario where he goes and plays with the Super Friends. And there's also a point where Father Time will catch up to LeBron at some point, and that, that means the Cavs are going to have to switch what goes on. And at that point, you have to you have to say, okay, do they stay at that level? If, if Does Kyrie become good enough? Is Kevin Love to do more of a role that helps them stay at that level, even if LeBron is not, you know, peak savage LeBron anymore. So I think, okay, maybe it's this year if they can, if Rose is really healthy and everything breaks right, they can be a surprise threat. But I just don't know if the timelines of the two teams match up in a way that makes me think that the Knicks are going to coincide with where the Cavs are going to end up. Because I think when the Cavs eventually, when the Cavs burn out, it's just going to be really fast. It's not going to be this, you know, slow. They go from one to like the four seed, and then to the six seed, and then like fall out of the playoffs. I think it's just going to be like they burn up really quick in the atmosphere and fall back down. 
And I so and I think at that point, if the Knicks are progressing at the way that they do, if Porzingis becomes a star, they get another young star, or it happens, I guess it just I don't know if the timelines match up. So I, I would guess that if they're gonna threaten them at all, if they're threatening the Cavs at all, it would be if they have this really great year this year, and that opens the door for the next couple of years. But I think it all I think a lot of it really hinges on what happens this year. Um, but I, I would ask you this to follow as a, just a question. You don't do you think Rose is here? Past in New York, I guess. Past this year, like, do you think this is just a one-year thing? I may or may not be writing about that at some point. Teaser. Um, teaser. Keep an eye out for that. So basically, what I gather from from your answer to my question is that you think the next time the Knicks are the biggest threat is in two years when LeBron comes to New York to play with the Super Friends, and the Knicks finally get all those guys, and they're all like thirty-five. Yeah, that sounds about right, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that's probably as good a place as any <laughs> to to end this discussion. Chris, this was fun, man. Thanks a lot. No, it was it was good to collaborate. Good for the I think the, it's good for our whole Lockdown Network uh, to just kind of doing some more stuff as the season actually gets closer. Because I don't know about you, but I really really need some actual quality basketball in my life. Yeah, I mean, look, the Knicks have a trial to worry about before then, and uh, I've done a podcast on that already, and I'm sure when October 4th comes around, if Rose's case actually does go to trial, then I'll have to do another one, and uh, my mother will be proud of me for finally putting my law degree to good use. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a good reason of any to be uh, excited about something is making your mom proud. Yeah, well, she's not going to listen to this, so good times. <laughs> Chris, I'm sure we'll talk again during the season, man. Yeah, absolutely. Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. When Flow flows, she flows in the know. Mind ruminates the rates. Shown them all, I heed the call. Seeing the rest, I choose the best. Sometimes it's ours, sometimes it's not. When the fox walks, is it called a fox trot? That's a real question. Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.